0: come to the fore. We're not going to forsake them. We're not going to forget them. I wonder what it means to you when you think about steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm privileged to have parents who are still alive in their late 80s, and uh, they've been married for a lot of years. (laughs) And uh, they've demonstrated to me really powerfully the, the value of steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, relationships die very quickly when we stop reaching out, when we stop engaging, when we stop sharing deeply. My dad's had some strokes uh, relatively recently, and he's still okay, but he, it's, it's made him a very quiet man. And my mum's complaint these days is that, oh, dad's very quiet. And so in a sense, their, their communication isn't what it, what it once was. Uh, when we do the, the marriage course here, here at NCR, we have a um, in the first session, we talk about the way relationships can very easily just... People can very easily just slowly drift apart. It doesn't, doesn't often happen bang like that. It's a series of things that happen. And in the, in the Marriage Course material, there's this powerful um, poem called The Wall. And uh, I'm reading two poems today. I never even read one poem usually, but here's two. And I've cut it down a little bit, but it's a, it's a really telling poem. I wonder if you're in relationship, if you're a married person here today... Um, just take this in. Maybe it's a time to just take stock of your relationship with your your partner. Um, Maybe there's things you need to be doing to, to make sure that you're not building a wall. Their wedding picture mocked them from the table, these two whose lives no longer touched each other. They loved with such a heavy barricade between them that neither battering ram of words nor artilleries of touch could break it down. Somewhere between the oldest child's first tooth and the youngest daughter's graduation, they lost each other. Throughout the years, each slowly unravelled that tangled ball of string called self, and as they tugged at stubborn knots, each hid their searching from the other. She took a course in modern art, trying to find herself in colours splashed upon a canvas and complaining to other women about men who were insensitive. He climbed into a tomb called The Office, wrapped his mind in a shroud of paper figures and buried himself in customers. Slowly the wall between them rose, cemented by the mortar of indifference. One day, reaching out to touch each other, they found a barrier they could not penetrate and, recoiling from the coldness of the stone, each retreated from the stranger on the other side. For when love dies, it is not in a moment of angry battle nor when fiery bodies lose their heat It lies panting, exhausted, expiring at the bottom of a wall. It could not scale. So easy for us, isn't it, to um, just drift apart in relationships, to not give the effort that we need to give to relationships. And I'm not just talking about relationships in marriage. I'm talking about relationships in general. We have an amazing privilege as a community of God's people, at new community, to build into each other's lives. And the message from Proverbs today is let steadfast love and faithfulness be the thing that characterises you and your relationships. I wonder if we could take that into 2017 as we think about the way we relate to the people around us. Are we relating to them with steadfast, consistent love and are we faithful in our relationships? Let's examine ourselves as we think about that. What would it look like in 2017? if we were to esteem other people higher than ourselves, if we were to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, if we were to be encouraging people who always had a word of encouragement for someone else, if we were to be quick to forgive, if we were to be understanding, if we were to be networking sort of people who shared our friends with other people, who introduced people to other people so that they could benefit from that experience and those relationships, if we could be humble, positive, loving people, All those are the sort of qualities that uh, the Bible talks about in terms of friendship. Friends are compassionate, they're kind, they're humble, they're gentle, they're patient. And the Bible talks about on top of all those things, putting love, which binds them all together. I wonder if steadfast love and faithfulness might be something that you need to open the door to uh, this year. Don't be closed. Don't be like a rock or an island, uh, dead to everyone else. But let's come alive. To each other, you know. Jesus said something almost the same. He said, "A new commandment I give to you: Love one another as I have loved you." By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's number one. Open the door to people. Number two, oh well, just just in contrast to that, the proverbs have a whole lot of the opposite. Um, this verse I found there: An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends; he defies all sound judgment. So the opposite of actually giving yourself to people is to be unfriendly. And um, be selfish. To actually be a person who loves and gives is is a very unselfish thing. Second, I want to talk about being open to God. And perhaps the best known verses in the book of Proverbs are these uh, these two in Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I have a book down there on the table, but i 've actually got a picture of it up here, so you won 't see it uh, when I was probably, probably fifteen or twenty years ago at a church I was at, they had the author of this book a guy called William Murray came and spoke and I have never heard a more um, uh, the story of a, li- a guy whose life had been so torrid and so mixed up and and so uh, sort of unbelievable uh, and in the book when you read the book about the first <laughs> 95% of the book is about his life that was just totally mixed up. And it's his life without God. And uh, he was uh, born to a guy called... His father was William Murray and his mother was Madeline Murray O'Hare. And you might have heard that name. She was the woman who in, uh, in America in about 1963 was pretty much uh, personally responsible for uh, stopping prayer and Bible reading in, in public schools. She was a, uh, a militant atheist and just everything you read about her she was a vile woman um, but she had such a strong belief that there was no God and uh, the uh, amazing thing in the book is that her her son who in, effectively she went to, to court um, to battle for um, no Bible reading in schools because she didn't want her son to be influenced by that terrible book the Bible uh, her son in 1980 I think when he was about 34 years old became a Christian and You can imagine the mother just totally disowned him. She had a vile mouth and um, we shouldn't say this here, but she actually described him becoming a Christian as, well, that's like a postnatal abortion because I don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. And so she totally wrote him off. Now, subsequent to the book, this woman and one of her um, grandchildren and her her, uh, another son were all murdered by someone else in the atheist (laughs) movement who hated them. Um, So it's it's an unbelievable story. But here's a woman who believes that she can live life without God and here's her son who's lived in that environment, comes to the end of himself as an alcoholic at age 34 and realises that actually the only answer in his life is a a relationship with God. And you know this verse, um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, is just a really powerful thing. You know, all of us, I think, have a, a tendency, and that's probably my, my tendency to want to be independent and not seek help. Um, we have a natural tendency to want to do things our way. This verse says that actually we're not to lean on our own understanding, but we're to trust God in everything. And the promise is that God will direct our paths. He'll show us the way to go. You know, um, Madeleine O'Hare was described really in in Psalm 14 as as a fool. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. When we choose to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, we're actually acknowledging that God is God. And the promise for us in the book of Proverbs is that as we learn to trust in God and as we learn to rely on him and not on ourselves we'll begin to live God-directed lives. He'll show us the path to walk and it'll be a path that's good and it'll be a path that pleases him. So I guess the question on number two is, how can you build a relationship with God in 2017? How can you learn to trust him implicitly with your life, to let go of the controls and actually hand it over to God? You know, I believe it's going to involve opening the Bible The Bible's God's wisdom for your life. It'll involve setting aside time to pray and listen for what God might be wanting to say to you. And you say, oh, I know that stuff. And the answer is, yeah, you probably do know that stuff. But I, I, I want to challenge you this morning. That stuff, however basic it might sound, is so vitally important to you learning to trust God and understand what his paths are and to be able to walk in them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. And then finally, I want to talk about being open to growth. My mum um, used to say that I was a very hard child to correct, and uh, I think it was because I was a pretty good kid, I'm not boasting at all. I think I was fairly compliant, and uh, and so when I when I did something wrong, I was very conscious of the wrongness of it. And uh, so I reacted very poorly to being reprimanded for things that I'd done wrong. I'd take it to heart. And, you know, in 50 years plus, I've been sort of on this journey for 50 years plus, nearly 60 years, and I still don't take well to being corrected, to realising that actually I've done something wrong and I need to change. I don't know if any of you sitting there are anything like me, but I I sense you might be it's really hard isn't it to be confronted with things in our lives that aren't quite right to actually respond to discipline or constructive criticism and to actually take it on board and realize that actually it's meant well and it might be worth taking notice of you know this final little verse in this proverbs chapter 3 that I want to share with you is Verse eleven and twelve, and it says this: "My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights." You know, my father, terrific, terrific guy. And and when I was growing up, I can't actually remember my father reproving me uh, verbally, but I can certainly remember him reproving me with a with a look. Um, and we knew so clearly what was expected of us from uh, our parents and certainly from my dad, that he just had to look at us in a certain way and we knew we'd done the wrong thing. But Dad was like that because he loved us and he wanted desperately for us to be um, kids who he could be proud of, kids who actually um, lived in a way that that, uh, reflected something of his values and, and of God's values as well. But I wonder... Are you like me? Do you resist uh, change? Do you resist being confronted by things that need to change? I wonder this morning, as we just think about this, is there an area of your life which, if if you are really honest, you actually do need to change in? And actually, as you understand God's ways more and more, you're realising that actually what you've been doing in one area or another is actually not what's pleasing to God. Maybe God's been speaking into it and you're resisting it. And this verse says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. There are things that we need to take on board because they'll be bring about change and it'll be change that's for the good. So I guess the challenge is, if there's something like that in your life, are you pushing it to the background? Are you, are you minimising it? Are you excusing it? Or are you prepared to face it head on? and with God's help to deal with it. Maybe it's something that you can't deal with on your own. And You know, that's the beauty of community. Maybe there's another follower of Jesus here who you could get alongside and share the the struggle that you have and ask them to walk with you in it, to keep you accountable for it. God wants us to change. He wants us to grow. You know, if we keep the doors closed to change, give it 10, 20 years, we'll still be the same sort of people we are, still struggling with the same old stuff. God doesn't want us to be struggling with the same stuff that we're struggling with now in 20 years' time. We'll still be struggling with stuff, but it'll hopefully be something different uh, because we've grown through the stuff that we've dealt with. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. The wise thing is to heed correction. So as kids here today, mum and dad even though they probably say it to you, they do know best. Um, and it's worth heeding what they have to say. There'll be times when they say no to you. I have an uncle and he used to tell me about how when his daughters got to the age of 15, he'd sit them down and he'd tell them a, whole, a few home truths. And he says, there'll be times when I tell you, you can't do this. And you're going to hate me for it. But when you get older, you're going to love me for it. And uh, I think that's the reality, isn't it, as, we, uh, as we're young and enthusiastic and keen to do all sorts of things. Mum and Dad have got a bit of wisdom that's uh, probably worth heeding. But ultimately, God has an amazing uh, amount of wisdom. The wisdom contained in this book is uh, unbelievable and outstanding. It's our guide for life. It's the maker's instructions. Just one final verse from the Bible that says this. All scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. What a fantastic verse. All scripture, all of this book is God-breathed and it's useful for correction and training and instruction in righteousness in living the way God wants us to do, to live, so that we can be complete, the sort of people that God wants us to do, ready to do every good work. The band are going to come up in a minute and they're going to sing a, a song and we're going to be able to join with them and it's called Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And I guess as we, as we conclude, I want you to just think about these three areas, people, God and growth. And I've just suggested to hear that... Um, People, all the people around us, they need us to be our very best. They need the very best from us. And that involves steadfast love and faithfulness. But we need God's best. And that involves trusting him with all our heart and not leaning on our own understanding and acknowledging him in all our ways so that he can direct our paths. And we need to grow to be our best. And some of that growing is going to involve uh, discipline and needing to confront things that need change. And so, as these guys sing to us, I wonder if you might be, you uh, sing along, but also you might want to pray, God, open my eyes to people, people that I need to love. Open my eyes to walking in your ways in a new way this year in 2017, or open my eyes to deal with areas in my life that need change. I just want to close with these two, two passages from the Bible. In Proverbs 8, it says, Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily. This is wisdom speaking God, wisdom, Jesus. Personified as wisdom. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favour from the Lord. And a verse that we often use as an individual thing is probably a little bit out of context because this is speaking to a church that was lukewarm, but the invitation of this church that had gone off the rails was Here I am, Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And that's God's invitation to you and to me today. It's as if he's knocking at the door and he's saying, if you are prepared to open the door, I'll come in. You know, we can't love people. We can't trust God. Uh, We can't grow and change uh, without God at work in us. But we need to open the door of our lives to him. Thanks, God.